0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all. Uh, good to be in Milwaukee again. It's been a minute. Uh, I come from Chicago, our second go-around in Chicago. Anybody been from Chicago here? Anybody here? Amen. I love these Midwest gritty cities, right? These Midwest gritty cities. I love them. I love that God is doing work and building his church in these cities. Um, I love that we had to come up and spend time. Dan and Danica. I was doing math the other day. I actually feel like I think I've known these guys. going on 19 years. Our oldest is 18, so it's a long time that we've known you all. I've spent a lot of time coming up from Chicago to Milwaukee over the years to spend time with Dan and Danica's families, and it's such a joy to be back. So thanks for having me. Uh, today we're going to talk something that's really uh, dear to my heart. You know, when you get to guest preach, you get to ask the, the pastor, hey, is it okay if I just preach on this sermon topic and, and this text? And you kind of get to do a one-off, right? And so I get to do a one-off today, which is fun for me. So um, we're going to talk about the idea of cities. Uh, because we're in a city called Milwaukee. I'm from a city called Chicago. My heart is for the cities of, of the world. So we're talking about cities today. And we're going to talk about something that feels big, right? How to change a city. We're going to talk about how to change a city. And I admit that on the forefront, um, that, that is a monumental task, right? How to change a city. It feels like such a huge task, and it is. It's one that can seem quite impossible given the complexities in the brokenness of our, of our cities, right? And yet I know this. I know that we all in this room today, that every single one of us, long for a better city. We long for a better city. Whether you're a Christian in this room, or whether you're a non-Christian, whether you're religious or you're irreligious, we all long for a better city, don't we? We long for a city where, where crime diminishes, amen? We, we, we long for a, a city where the cost of living diminishes. <laughs> we long for a city where where unity, togetherness, love for one another increases. We long for a city where the where the overall quality of life for everyone in the city increases. We long for a city where justice and goodness and holiness and love and flourishing and joy increase. And listen, when we speak of our longings, whether we know it or not, we are actually longing for this idea of the city of God, the city of God, the place that's, that's filled with the presence of God, and therefore a place where death and pain and racism and classism and taxes and bad infrastructure and loneliness and injustice and sin are no more. In the scriptures, if you remember the book of Hebrews, talks about this idea of those who came before us, that they longed for a better city, a city that was to come, whose builder and maker was God himself. He was the architect of the city. In fact, Jesus at one point teaches his disciples to pray in such a way that, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it currently is in heaven. Which means this. It means that the way to change the city, the way to change the city in the here and now begins with reflecting the city that is to come, reflecting that city that is to come, that we long for, that Jesus calls us to pray would come here. Now, the question is, how do we do that? (laughs) How do we do that? Well, today, we're going to look at a story in the the book of Acts, we'll see that the reality of the kingdom coming to earth through everyday people, people just like you and me, we're going to see it come to earth in a really tangible way. All right, so I'm going to read the text again, just get it before us again, I'm going to pray. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Acts 8. All right? Acts chapter 8. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. Let me read it for us again. And Saul approved of his that is Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. That is, the church of Jerusalem were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house, and he was dragging off men and women, and he was committing them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, that is the Messiah, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or who were lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. To you pray with me? Well, Father, we ask today that you would build your church, that you would encourage us through the word, that you would help me declare boldly and clearly the word as I ought to, that you would center us on the person and work of Jesus, that you would send us out on your mission to declare and demonstrate the good news of the gospel. God, do your work today, Holy Spirit. Build your church, convict us, teach us, send us, help us. We cannot do this without you. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, well, today, again, we're going to look at this story. We're going to look at the story where some hard things had to happen to move some people to where they needed to be. Some hard things had to happen to move people where they needed to be. All right, so let's jump in. We enter today's text, all right? We enter today's text kind of in the middle of Acts. So we, we enter into the heels um, of a guy named Stephen preaching a really solid sermon. He got up and he preached a solid sermon in uh, Acts chapter 7. And then he gets murdered because it went against the grain of what the surrounding culture believed. And listen, it wasn't the Roman culture that, that killed Stephen, as we might assume, right? It wasn't the irreligious culture that, that pushed back on Stephen in this case. But it was the same religious culture that killed Jesus. This group of religious elites, Jewish religious leaders at this time, they kept trying to snuff out the movement of the gospel. But listen, this is good news. Thus far, it has not ended well for them. It kept backfiring on these folks, and it will backfire again today, we will see in the text. Now, in the context of Acts 8, before Stephen was killed, the early church had experienced some great highs. Things were going well. The Holy Spirit had fallen and had filled them, and thousands of people have put their trust and their faith in Jesus. They're, they're joining the church of Jerusalem. I mean, the church of Jerusalem at this point had basically become a megachurch overnight. And the leaders of this church in Jerusalem were, were being used greatly by God. They were performing miracles. They were preaching the gospel boldly. They were learning to adjust to new growth, and they were putting deacons into leadership to care for those who had tangible needs in the church. We see that in Acts 6. And Stephen was one of these deacons that they put into place. And his death here at the hands of these religious leaders sparked something that was hard for a church that was experiencing a lot of highs. It sparked persecution. Again, we see that in Acts 8, 1 through 4, in this first section of the text today, Again, there arose on that day a great persecution, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering home after home. He's dragging off family members and committing them to prison. And so we see that as this intense persecution began to gather momentum, that there was this scattering. You see it there? This scattering of the church in Jerusalem that took place. Now, on the one hand, this scattering was devastating, as you can imagine. People, imagine this in your own life, right? People were forced to leave their homes and their church and their relationships and their city because of the level of persecution that was taking place. But we also will see that this scattering was not in vain, Families and individuals that followed Jesus from the great city of Jerusalem were now scattered like seed to be sown. And there's two initial things in this first section, which is Acts eight one through four, or Acts eight um, uh, verses one through four, that I want us to take note of today. Two things in this initial section. Number one is this: you so read the text. Where were these people scattered to? Where were they scattered to? The text says that they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, if we, if we know our Bibles a bit, this should cause us to pause, right? Because in Acts 1.8, the very beginning of this, of this uh, book, Jesus said to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come and you will be my witnesses in all Judea, all in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Did you hear that? Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit falls, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now, quick quiz time, crossway. We are in chapter 8 of Acts today. What chapter did the Holy Spirit fall on the church? Somebody shout it out. Acts chapter 2, right? And from that moment onward, the church of Jerusalem saw thousands of people put their trust in Jesus and they were were faithfully declaring the gospel and God was building his church in Jerusalem. But how many of us know this? That when things go well in, in our organization or when things go well in our part of town, that we can keep just building our thing and forget about the broader mission. We can keep building our thing and forget about the thing that we were called to. Right? How tempting it can be to enjoy a season of growth or the comforts of home or the comforts of commonality and yet forget that, that right down the street or across the globe, there are so many people that need to hear about the good news we have. And that's what happened to the Church of Jerusalem. Jesus had, had, had called them to scatter the gospel far and wide, but thus far they, have, they had kept it just for their, their people and their part of the region. Judea and Samaria had yet to experience the movement of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it could be argued that there were reasons why Jerusalem was content with building a megachurch in the region. But there's one reason that most scholars in the historical context agree on, And it was this. The church of Jerusalem was filled with people who had a lot of commonalities. They had similar religious and cultural practices. They had a shared ethnicity. And listen, they had this. They had a shared hatred for the people who didn't share their commonalities with them. People like the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And so it was likely this idea of prejudice and the superiority complex that that kept the church of Jerusalem from sharing the best news in the world with others that weren't like them. And listen, the the, the reason I think this is likely the case is because it is evident throughout the pages of the New Testament and throughout the context of the book of Acts itself. The Jewish people during this time had a deep-seated hatred for the Samaritans. Historically, there was a lot of beef between the Jewish people of Jerusalem and the mixed-race people of Samaria. In fact, Israel looked down at disgust on the Samaritans, who in their eyes didn't have the right ethnicity, nor did they have the correct theology. They didn't want to cross the line into Samaritan territory, into another region, because of those type of people over there. They lacked the compassion of God and they struggled with his call to make disciples of all peoples. And so God, in his sovereignty, in his providence, he allows the persecution that was already taking place to be a catalyst, to send and scatter his people to be the witnesses that he had called them to be in Acts 1.8. Listen, God knows that prejudice, which all of us have a little bit of of that in us. That prejudice can be, of course, broken through, yes, the gospel, right? We see that in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says that the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, this beef that exists between these ethnic groups, was broken down through the gospel, through the cross of Christ. And these two groups became one new person in place of the two. So the gospel is a way for the prejudice to be broken down. But a God also knows that prejudice can be broken down through something called proximity as well. right? We need both. We need the gospel to to break down prejudice and apathy, but we also need proximity to move toward and into the neighborhood. Listen, it's hard to love people from a distance, isn't it? It's hard to meet tangible needs if we don't know the needs of a place. It's hard to know someone from just their social media profiles and and social media posts. It's hard to break down the walls without first taking down a fence or stepping over a neighborhood line and living among the other. So listen, God in his sovereignty, because of his great love for all people, made a way for his gospel to move outward to Judea and Samaria, despite the lack of movement of his people. Listen, sometimes God has to move us to place us where he wants us. Let me say that again. Sometimes God has to move us to place us where he wants us and to place his gospel where he wants his gospel. All right, so that's the first thing I want us to see in this section, where they were scattered. They they were providentially scattered to Judea and Samaria because of God's love for all people. Now, here's the second thing I want us to notice in this section. Who was scattered? Not just where they were scattered to, but who was scattered? Look at verse 1 again. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria now look at this phrase, except the apostles. This is so intriguing to me, this part is. I can nerd out in this and go deep in this for a minute. This is really intriguing to me. You would think, right, that, that God would scatter some of the apostles, right, some of the leaders of the church to go and plant the gospel in places he told them to go. But they stay at the home base here in Jerusalem. And instead, God does something remarkable. And not only is it remarkable, but it's empowering. He scatters everyday Christians to be his messengers. He scatters and he sends blacksmiths and bakers and moms and dads. He scatters and sends military personnel and consultants and farmers and shepherds. He scatters and he sends shop owners and designers and construction workers and finance leaders. They become the sent ones of God to Judea and Samaria. Listen, in a culture... That often props up the religious elite, or the clergy, or the person with the masters of divinity degree, or the pastor, or the celebrity preacher. God does something surprising here. He does what he often does. He flips it all upside down. Now, he doesn't say that the leaders of the church don't matter, or that they don't have an important role. It's clear and evident that they do. But what he does is he includes and he empowers those who often believe that they either don't have to do the work in the ministry on one hand, or... They don't believe they have the ability to do the work of the ministry, on the other hand. So often, people may find themselves believing that they aren't the called, that they don't have the, the necessary gifts, that they just need to kind of stay in their lane, that they don't really have what it takes, that their job in the church is just to re- receive the preached word, and that's part of it, please receive the preached word, like, that their job is just to set up chairs, please serve, do that. But no, here we are reminded in the text that we have more than we dreamed of at our, dipo- at our disposal. We all have a calling. Listen, if we're in Christ today, if you were in Christ, you have the very Spirit of God. No matter, no matter who we are, we have the spirit of God over in Christ. If you have trusted in the work of Jesus and you have the spirit of God within you who then gives you his wisdom and his mind and his power, gives it his love. And listen, everyday Christians have the gospel. Get this. You have the good news. Walkie Crossway. Listen, you have the good news to be able to reach people that pastors and clergy quite frankly cannot reach, that we can't reach. Think about this for a moment with me. Pastor Dan doesn't have access to the building you live in or the neighbors on your block. He doesn't have access to the workplace and the the co-workers where you are at. He doesn't have access to the relationships you have. Listen, you bring something particular to the body of Christ. You have a background. You have a gift You have a personality, a connection, an insight, and God has ordained that you walk in the good works that he has for you. Everyday people, everyday Christians took the gospel from Jerusalem to the surrounding regions. They were part of, this is huge, as you read through the the book of Acts, you see this continual movement that continues to grow outward. Over and over again, as you read it, it keeps expanding outward um, to the Gentiles, the nations eventually. And it was everyday people that initially took the gospel that started in Jerusalem. It was the everyday people who actually took the gospel the next step outward towards the nations, starting with the Samaritans in in Judea. They were part of the movement of the gospel to the nations. What a glorious calling. What a beautiful reality. And listen, you and I are here today because everyday people took the gospel with them wherever they were scattered. So what does that mean for for you today? It means this. It means that you too can be part of spreading the gospel on your block and in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in this city, and far and wide beyond Milwaukee. That's what it means. So in this first section, we, we find that persecution scattered everyday people to Judea and Samaria. And now what the text does is it zooms in a bit and it tells us what they did in the city of Samaria particularly. All right, look at the second section of of our text today, Acts 8, four through seven. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. And saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. All right, so as as these folks are scattered to Judea and Samaria, we see that they did two things in the text. Number one, we see this. They declared the gospel. We see here that those who were scattered, these everyday people who were forced out of their home like refugees, went about, look at the text, preaching the word. They went about preaching the word, right? They had received this good news in Jerusalem. They had received the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And now they have taken what they have received and they are scattering it like seed. They're scattering it like seed so that others can receive the gospel as well. They're preaching the word wherever they are scattered. Listen, any one of us who have received the good news of the gospel of Jesus are now capable to share it with others. And that's exactly what they did. They found themselves, and maybe this is where you find yourself today, they, find themselves, they found themselves in a new neighborhood, in a new place, with new people around them, in a hard but new season of life. And they chose to preach the word in that new season, in that new space around these new people. Listen, they, they could have just kind of checked out, right? They're persecuted. They're forced out of homes. They're on the run. Fearing for their lives. They could have just checked out. They could have just complained, and I, and I would not, I would have had no issue with that. They could have just complained. They could have just gave up on this idea of Christianity at this point. Life was hard. They're persecuted. They're pushed out. And they could have preached a lot of different messages during this hard time. That was not the gospel message. But they preached Christ those God had sent them to and surrounded them with. Amen? They preached the word. And then we see this man named Philip here. Now, Philip was a Jewish and Greek-speaking deacon at the church of Jerusalem. He was a deacon along with Stephen. And he, too, was scattered. And in fact, he ended up in a city called Samaria. Now, Samaria, that should ring a bell, right? It's that place and that people that the people of Jerusalem looked down upon. That's where Philip lands. And yet Philip did hear what the others that were scattered did, right? He proclaimed, the text says, to them the Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. And listen, as I read this, I couldn't help but remember the story of the Samaritan woman, right? The woman at the well from the Gospels. Uh, Jesus met with her in John chapter 4, if you remember. And she immediately knew that he was Jewish, and it didn't make sense to her, how this Jewish man was speaking with her because of the opposition between these two groups. And as Jesus gets into this conversation with her, they talk about the theme, really, of the conversation, if you read it, is the Messiah. It's the Messiah. And Jesus, at one point, eventually points to himself and says, I'm the Messiah. I- I'm the one you've been waiting for and longing for. I'm here with you now. I'm here. And she believes in Jesus. Jesus. And she goes back, right, to the town, and she tells all the others everything Jesus had told her and shared with her. She was in a way, I think this is beautiful, she was in a way the first messenger sent by Jesus to declare the gospel to Samaria. And now we see here in Acts 8, someone else filled with the Spirit. Another messenger has been scattered to Samaria to water the seed that was planted in John chapter 4. Philip... Really got to finish the sermon, if you will. right? Because if you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus is there, he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, but he had yet to die at that point for the sins of the world. He had yet to bring Samaritans and Jews into one family through the gospel. But now as Philip stands there in Acts chapter 8, Jesus had died for the sins of the world. Jesus had risen from the dead, and the Spirit of God had fallen and was indwelling his people. And so when Philip shows up, he proclaims to them the Christ, the Messiah. He gets to tell them what happened to that Messiah that showed up in John chapter 4. And he gets to to preach the, the completed gospel story of Jesus who lived a perfect life for them, who died for their sins, and who rose from the dead, defeating our greatest enemies and bringing us into one new family, both Jew and Samaritan. That's what they get to hear. So... This is all taking place as Philip declares the gospel of Jesus to them. Things are really coming full circle. Jesus is building his church, and Acts 1-8 is starting to take shape in this moment. And Philip, much like Jesus, isn't just declaring the gospel of the kingdom with his lips. Now, he's clearly doing that, but he's also doing something else. He's demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom as well. Look at the text. It says, they heard and they saw. And this brings us to the second thing that those who were scattered did. First, they declared the gospel of the kingdom. Secondly, they did this. They demonstrated the gospel of the kingdom. All throughout the gospels, we see Jesus uniting words and actions. He he didn't create this false dichotomy of either you preach the gospel with your lips or you preach it with your lives. He shows us this both and. He preaches the gospel clearly with his words. And he shows the gospel of the kingdom with his actions. In other words, he declares and he demonstrates the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, there's many texts within the scriptures that show Jesus doing this. Matthew 4 is an example. Let me read it for you. Matthew 4.23, just so you can have a concept. You can see it. It says this in Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching... In their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. He's declaring and he's demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And Philip does the exact same thing in Samaria. Again, look at the text from Acts 8 today. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Does that sound a little familiar? It's almost an exact parallel to what we see in Matthew chapter 4 in the ministry of Jesus. So what we see here in Samaria is that a group of Jesus followers from Jerusalem show up after being scattered by persecution, and they show up continuing the ministry of Jesus. They're living out the great commission of Jesus, where he promises that he will send the Spirit, and that he will be with them through the Spirit, and that he will send them with his authority, and that they will be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And listen, can I just say that this is exactly what Milwaukee and Chicago and every other city in the world needs? It's exactly what we need. We are the sent ones of God, family. Those of us today who are in Christ, who have received his forgiveness and his identity and his gospel and the spirit, we've received it so that we can declare and demonstrate. The good news of the gospel, the kingdom, wherever we find ourselves. Listen, you and I, we bring words with us, right? We bring the words of the king, and we bring the culture of his kingdom wherever we go. We show up and we speak out, and we do so in a way that mirrors Jesus, which is full of grace and truth. Hear me. Hear me today. You are not in Milwaukee by chance just like they weren't in Samaria by chance. Wherever you are, or wherever God is sending you today, here's what is clear right now. Wherever God has you and me, we are to be his witnesses, declaring and demonstrating with words and actions the gospel of the kingdom of God. I mean, listen, isn't this what our cities need? Isn't this what our culture and our country need today? in in an age where we are so polarized by by the kingdoms of this world who try their best to to tempt us, to give allegiance to them, to divide us, to confuse us, to to steal our purpose from us, don't we need something different, y'all? Doesn't our cities and our nation need something different? Doesn't it need a kingdom that cannot be shaken, one that has a good king who loves us and gave himself for us? This kingdom, this alternative kingdom that is not left nor right, that is not of this world. Is what Jesus says. This kingdom is what those scattered brought to Samaria. And listen to me. It changed Samaria. It changed it. Look at the end result. Look at Acts 8.8. 8. Here's what it says. In light of them declaring and demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom. Here's what it says. So there was much joy in that city. Samaria was full of joy because the gospel of the kingdom showed up. Amen? What began as persecution, what begin as hardship for those in Jerusalem, led to joy for those in Samaria. Man, isn't that something? Only God can do this. Listen, he, he took those who opposed and hated the Samaritans and somehow he used them to bring joy to the people they neglected and hated. Right? Kind of reminds me of the story of Jonah a bit. Listen, if that can happen then, can God not use you and me to bring joy to places like Milwaukee and Chicago? Joy. right? Something that is an anomaly in our age. An age where depression and anxiety and demonizing and violence and division exists so vividly. We can't really seem to figure out joy, can we? In fact, the former mayor of Chicago said that in the summer of 2020. 2022, was going to be the summer of joy in Chicago. Now, if you know summer's in Chicago, it wasn't that joyful. (laughs) And listen, I commended her desire because I want joy to fill Chicago too. But listen, at the end of the day, all the programs and all the political scheming and all the resources of humanity still can't truly bring joy to our cities. Only the presence of God can do that. Only the presence of God. Joy is supernatural. It's the fruit of the spirit, right? Joy cannot fill a city without the king and the kingdom filling the city. It's only when people experience the multifaceted reality and beauty of Jesus and his kingdom. Only then will people know who who bow their knees to, to the king. Only then will joy be able to fill a city. And listen, we who are in Christ are the sent ones with that good news of the kingdom. We have something peculiar to offer our cities that no one else actually has. And it's not because you and I are particularly amazing. It's not it at all. But it's because of the one we have put our hope in. And it's because of the one we give allegiance to. And it's because of the one we represent in the kingdom we are part of. We are commissioned to declare the gospel of Jesus and demonstrate his kingdom culture so that joy fills Milwaukee and Chicago. Listen, what if we were known to be the people, to be the people that brought joy to the spaces God had us in? What if the joy of Jesus spilled out of us to those around us on the streets of our cities, right? What a vision and what a calling. Let me just close with a couple action steps for us in light of the text. Two action steps for us today, guys. One is this. Did you receive joy today? Did you receive joy? Perhaps you're here today and you haven't received Jesus and his joy. Maybe you've been searching for it or intrigued or wanting something different. And maybe the current culture hasn't given you what you long for. Man, can I just be real with you for a minute? The current culture cannot give you what Jesus can. Can't. You were meant to be connected to and to worship and to know the God who created you and made you. And this same God who created you came to earth to dwell among us, to live the life that you and I struggle and fail to live every day. And he came to sacrifice himself for our joy. Listen, the cross of Jesus was hard. It was persecution, but it led to joy for all peoples. Jesus said that it was for the joy that was set before him, that he endured. The shame and the hardship of the cross was for our joy. And the same Jesus defeated death, and he, he rose from the dead so that you and I and anyone who would believe in him would have forgiveness and hope and reconciliation and a new purpose and a new identity and eternal joy. He took on our burdens, and he took on our griefs, and he took on our sin, And he gives us in exchange his freedom and his righteousness and his joy. So let me just encourage you today to turn from your way, to turn from your sin, and to receive Jesus and his joy today, and your life will never be the same. So will you receive joy today, number one? And number two, will we spread joy? Will we take the kingdom of joy wherever you work, play, and live today? Maybe even take it to a new place to plant the gospel of the kingdom if God's calling you to do that. If you have received Jesus and if you are in Christ, listen, you are now an ambassador of the kingdom of God. You have the spirit of God dwelling in you and God has placed you here and now to be sent to spread the joy of Jesus. Would you scatter it like seed? Just like these folks did in Acts 8. Would you pray? Would you ask God to give you wisdom and power to spread the gospel of joy wherever you work and whatever hobbies you engage in and wherever you live. And lastly, listen, maybe he's calling you and sending you to go and help bring joy to a place that's under church in a hard place, kind of like Samaria, or kind of like South Milwaukee, (laughs) right? Maybe he's calling you to a place, a place that needs more light bearers and more kingdom people. Would you pause and pray today and say, God, if that's me, If you are sending me, would you help me to not ignore your prompting, but to obey you as you send me to bring the joy of the gospel to a people in a place that desperately need it? Listen, we can't reach, we can't change the city without being sent ones, right? Without Jesus being sent to us, we would all be lost. Nineveh wasn't going to be reached unless Jonah obeyed God's call to be a sent one. Samaria here wouldn't have been changed and full of joy if those who were sent and scattered didn't declare and demonstrate the good news of the gospel. And at some point in your life, someone was sent so that you could respond to the gospel. And Milwaukee, Chicago, won't be reached or changed unless we obey God's call to be sent ones who declare and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. So wherever God has called you, or is sending you, or has you, let's receive the joy of Jesus today and spread it to others, amen? May it be said in Milwaukee that there was much joy in that city. Would you pray for me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us so much, that you sent Jesus to live the life we could not live, to die the death we deserve, to rise from the dead defeating our greatest enemy for sending the Spirit to empower us to be sent ones, to declare and demonstrate that good news to others. you that you include us, what a privilege, that not only did you save us, but you include us. May we never forget that. May we, never, may we always be in awe of that, how good you are to us. May we spread your goodness and your joy and your kingdom, wherever we find ourselves. God, Holy Spirit, help us to do that. We can't do that without you. We're selfish, we're busy, distracted. Holy Spirit, fill us today and empower us today to be your sent ones so that joy fills Milwaukee. Do your work. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.